This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. I'm John Horn. I'm a news reporter for the Union Tribune, and I'm here with four esteemed panelists, and we're all going to talk about the where the jobs are in San Diego and science, technology, engineering, math, the STEM fields. If you want a job, that seems to be where the, where the jobs are. So I'll just tell you a little bit about myself and kind of what's going on in the job market, and then I'll hand it off to four of these people, and they will talk to you all about what's going on in their worlds, and then we'll open it up to some of my questions, and then we should end with some audience questions. So make it interactive, make it a fun hour, and talk about where the jobs are. So like I said, I'm at the Union Tribune. I cover the economy and the real estate market. And one of the things that I keep noticing about job growth here is just to put it this way, our unemployment rate's a little less than 5% right now, which is near a nine-year low. But when you look at the payroll growth in San Diego County, we added about 42,000 jobs In the last year, it's good for about 3.1% growth, which is solid, according to most economists. And when you look at what's growing, about 8,500 of those jobs are in the science professional services fields, which are the biotechs and the Qualcomms and all those STEM jobs. So that number, by the way, is only matched by the tourism field, which you're all here. So that's... um, And and most of those jobs are actually in the restaurant industry, which, believe it or not. So maybe a connection to be made is that with so much high-wage growth in the STEM field, some of these service sector industries are seeing more people out there spending money in the economy and going out to restaurants and treating themselves. So it all kind of comes together in, in a certain way. So I think that's, that's the key to take home here, is that the, the wage growth, the job growth, is in those professional, scientific, and technical services. So that's, I think, what our focus is going to be today. The panel's called The Job Landscape Today and Tomorrow, The San Diego View. So we'll keep it appropriate to that, especially in a field where you have the Torrey Pines biotech sector and Qualcomm and the defense industry here as well. So let's introduce our four panelists. We'll start out with Peter Kallstrom. He is the third person right there. He is the CEO of the San Diego Workforce Partnership. His career spans 25 years of nonprofit leadership. He oversees $40 million in annual funding of workforce programs for thousands of residents in the San Diego County region, focusing on underserved populations such as dislocated workers, young adults, veterans, those who were formerly incarcerated. The Workforce Partnership empowers job seekers to acquire the skills to meet the current and future workforce needs in our region. It also conducts extensive research and analysis on the labor market and economic and employment trends. And Peter, I will say, is one of my best sources when I'm doing my story. So he's used to me asking him a lot of questions. Uh, On the end of the table is Ed Hidalgo. He is the Senior Director of Staffing at Qualcomm. He's responsible for global contingent workforce immigration and relocation. He's also the co-founder of a Qualcomm program called Career Explorations, which provides career counseling and coaching to Qualcomm employees. Through this program, he spearheaded the launch of a new initiative called the Qualcomm Think-A-Bit Lab, which we'll talk about today. It's all about exposing San Diego's middle school youth to technology and engineering careers. So volunteer opportunities for Qualcomm employees for them to also integrate with those people that may be motivated to get that job in the future. So welcome, Ed. A Lieutenant Commander Brian Alvarez Sr. He's with the United States Navy. He's also the president of 3Rs Robotics, LLC. 
He currently serves as the operation officer for Spaywar 302 and co-owns and operates 3Rs Robotics and the Steam Maker Workshop, which reinvigorates ki- kindergarten to adult STEAM education. That's STEAM because he added an A for arts. And one of the things we'll talk about today is Brian was saying that one of the ways he gets kids to be interested in STEM or STEAM is to trick them into learning because they're not exactly always motivated to learn about this at the outset. So when they actually get their hands on these things and start learning they get really motivated. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot. So welcome. And then we've got, oh, sorry, we've got Daryl Albertson. He is with Cubic Corporation. They are a, they do work for the military and also they work on systems for public transportation. So he is a PhD and also uh, works on hiring people locally and across the globe, I would imagine, as you, as you do. So welcome to all four of you. Thank you for being here. So um, why don't we start uh, with you, Daryl, since we're right here, and maybe you can talk for a few minutes about what your mission is and what you do and maybe the job scene here in San Diego. Sure. And I I did want to thank U.S. News and uh, this great panel and looking forward to a good discussion. Uh, Cubic, as you may or may not know, is an 8,000-person global company, um, 60 years in San Diego. We're actually founded in San Diego and we work in the defense and transportation industry, so we like to say that we want to make the world safer and more productive. Hopefully those are good things. And uh, I've had the chance to work at uh, various roles in San Diego over a 25-year period. I've had the chance to work for some of the larger companies like General Dynamics, Pfizer, Cardinal Health, which became uh, CareFusion, which became Becton Dickinson, and, uh, and now Cubic. So that basically means two things. One is that I'm old, <laughs> and the second one is that I can't hold a job, apparently. <laughs> but um, it, it is a little bit like how um, industry has developed and the job landscape has developed in San Diego, always a big military defense town uh, with Qualcomm and others, um, huge in communications, um, the sort of pharmaceutical, biotech, uh, medical device, and you know, with Cubic now, transportation. So it's very, very diverse. One thing that's interesting about San Diego is most of the companies in San Diego have 200 fewer employees, though. So uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in San Diego. So if you can combine those things, uh, an interest in STEM and an interest in being an entrepreneur, um, I mean, it's really a huge opportunity for the future. Brian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk about what you do. Yeah, thank you all for showing up on uh, the last day. Appreciate that. Thank you to the panel for being here. Um, Okay, so I was the STEM officer for the U.S. Navy for the past five years um, on active duty uh, for Navy Recruiting Command. And we would do a lot of STEM outreach for the community, reinvigorating STEM, trying to get... uh, students motivated to continue in the career paths of the STEAM, STEM um, career pathways. What we have found is as the students would get older and they get further along in their high school years, either they like STEM or they don't. Um, And us as recruiters at the time would notice the big drop in motivated jobs, motivated individuals wanting to seek careers in STEM, not only in the Navy as an officer program, but ability to qualify and take the test and pass the test 
um, who don't have the fundamentals. And what we decided to do is go back to the elementary school level and reinvigorate them from there so that way when we have them and their interest in STEM fields, they would continue on. And we followed along uh, quite a few, about 300, 400 students, um, and noticed that if you gave them a program in the elementary school level, about 95% of them would pursue a STEM career, not necessarily in the Navy or the military, but some pathway to career development. Um, and it declined as we got to the older students, um, middle school, high school, it would kind of taper off a bit. Um, so in San Diego, a big biotech industry, big uh, technology industry, um, in order for them to stay here, um, we have created programs that uh, allow them to on-ramp in a uh, internship um, college, uh, college bound, college cooperation that allows them to continue their studies or whatever their interests are and on-ramp them to a program with corporations here that they can intern with and potentially be hired as, uh, as an employee. Um, my background in the human resources officer position um, allowed me to see the demographics and the uh, overall job pool, um, the, the talent pool, if you will. And uh, we wanted to make sure that as the future becomes more technically advanced, um, we have a lot more American talent in our job uh, pool. And so we are currently focusing on reinvigorating the, the STEM in the elementary to middle school levels as that seems to have the biggest payoff. And so creating things like Thinkabit Lab and the Steammaker Workshop allows that to occur as we go out to schools or schools come to us. And um, as far as uh, San Diego goes, um, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of uh, maker spaces here which help um, promote and uh, enable uh, I guess creativity and thinking and, and critical thinking. Uh, in a hands-on setting. And so as we were saying, the, the trick them into learning, uh, what we would do is, is uh, you know, say we have a project, an air rocket project. Well, we would have them engineer the design, launch it, calculate trajectory, atmospheric conditions, um, target projection, um, a lot of calculus, some math. And then we would show them my calculations of the satellite launching systems that we would do in the Navy and show them it's pretty much identical to what they learned in a hands-on setting. And so just telling them, hey, look, see, we tricked you into learning. You did exactly what we do in the Navy, but just in a you know, much more safer environment. And so bringing programs like that, hands-on learning, um, project-based learning, uh, we see they have a biggest payoff. Peter, why don't you go ahead? Uh, at the Workforce Partnership, well, number one, he has a really cool card. It says Science Geek, you know, as a title. How cool is that? And I just go by geek, but <laughs> science makes it a lot more legitimate. Um, at the Workforce Partnership, we uh, deploy uh, around $40 million to the San Diego 
county region. Uh, about two-thirds of our funds support uh, adults, primarily displaced workers, to help them get back into the workforce, but not just back into the same job, but uh, hopefully to advance their career pathway and to expose them to great careers like in, in STEM work. And about a third of our dollars um, go towards youth-related programs, uh, 14 to 24 kind of uh, age range. On a direct level, we provide some uh, direct service. One uh, within STEM is a project that was uh, or is profiled here at the Life Sciences Summer Institute and like to give recognition to Ashley, my former co-worker over here. Wave Ashley to the crowd. She's with the EDC now, but ran that program for years. It's now in its 12th year, and it uh, supports a, a small cohort, um, 30, 40 students um, who work with great institutions locally like the Salk Institute and others so that um, they can go down that life sciences path if that's for them. And also uh, a thing called the ILSC, in, uh, in Introductory Life Sciences Experience. So uh, being able to support uh, underserved youth to be able to get exposed to life sciences. So on a direct level, we're doing some, but our primary purpose is to fund uh, programs that are doing great work in the region. In addition to the funding that we do, then we also do a lot of work uh, to understand our region. That's a, a big piece of the puzzle, because if we don't know what's out there or what's in demand now or in the years to come, then, as Tom Perez said a couple days ago, that's the train and pray model. You know, we don't want to have folks just go after what they might like, but not aware of all the other opportunities out there, and then hope there's a job when they're done. So we're being much more purposeful about understanding the region, doing a lot of in-depth, ongoing research and labor market information study. And these boards that you see here are my newest business cards that I, we get to carry around everywhere. But this is the product of our research recently that we're really, really proud of because we did it in collaboration with the Community College District. In years past, it was much more of a parallel research effort uh, that was still good, but it didn't always align. So getting together with community colleges and all of their research efforts to uh, focus in on and identify the five key sectors of growth and opportunity in our region. And so here they are. Uh, this is the product of, we have um, summary reports, and out on outside are some of the, the briefs that we have, and then 50, 60 pages of research to support each and every one of those so that the job seeker can really dig in and understand, if I want to get a job in this sector, here's what it would take, here's the pathway, Here's the education, the requirements. Uh, and that was really good, but uh, honestly not good enough. And my, my buddy to the right, who will be speaking in a minute up at Thinkabit, um, I was visiting um, some months ago, and he said, how do we get this data in front of the kids? Because the reports are great, but, you know, of course they're not going to probably download that big old 50-page PDF and, and dive in. And he had this great idea of let's make this visual. What can we do? And landed on this idea to summarize our sector reports into these um, boards that now the students have access to it, think a bit, not only think a bit, but then that idea took off because the uh, principals and superintendents that Ed has been bringing in get turned onto it and say, how do I get this into my school? And long story short, we now have the opportunity to get it into every school in our county. That's 774 schools that have access to this data to put these boards up on the wall so that the kids can look at it and go, okay, if I stop at high school, this is my likely income. But if I go on to college, and then here's the 
these strange sounding careers what does that mean so it piques the interest and this has been just such a huge win for us and something we're going to be doing much more of updating it as frequently as you can and just making it really vibrant maybe um, turning them into apps who knows what but just whatever we can do to get the the, the research in front of the kids uh, is is really what it's all about thank you Peter Ed Thanks, Peter um, and Jonathan. If, if you're from somewhere else in, in the, uh, the country um, and you don't know your workforce board, you should get to know your workforce board. We are so fortunate that we have this gentleman leading ours here in San Diego, but I think it's the best kept secret in many communities. There's money flowing into your communities that can be used for, for young people, for dislocated workers in the areas of STEM, and, and many folks don't know it exists. So these infographics are a prime example of what can happen when workforce with education and, and strong leadership get together um, to make an impact. Um, and, and as Peter mentioned, these are going into the schools as we speak. So it's been an incredible journey with Peter. We're so fortunate to have him here in San Diego. Um, so I work for Qualcomm. We're the world's largest fabulous semiconductor company in the world. Um, 13,000 employees here in San Diego, give or take. And if you have a smartphone, our technology is, is in that phone. So as you can all be a part of the mobile wireless revolution, you know how important mobile is, and we're a part of that journey. 70% uh, of our employees are engineers. Um, and, and when you talk about engineers, you talk about software, you talk about hardware, systems, and tests. Um, for a lot of you who may not be in the engineering space, um, and you hear about coding camps and, hey, learn to code in six weeks and, you know, come up to the bay and we'll teach you how to get a job in, you know, six months after we teach you how to code. Uh, to make an electrical engineer and a hardware engineer is really hard. I mean, really hard. It takes years and years of education, of training, of research, um, of trials, um, we work really hard to find our engineers, and we'll find them wherever they are. Um, the good news is, is that our employment brand is very strong because we are a leader in the space, and we are very successful at finding the talent that we need. But we are concerned about other technology companies. Um, we are concerned about STEM capability and STEM awareness for our young people. Will we have the talent in the future to create the next Qualcomm? Because of Qualcomm in our community, there's 2.3 other jobs that are supported. There's about 27,000 people that have jobs in our community because of Qualcomm, making an average of $70,000 a year, thanks to our EDC study in 2013. Um, we're also a community of small businesses. 90% of the businesses have 50 employees or fewer in our community. So when I think of my job, I'm not an engineer, but I am so thankful that we have engineers because I'm employed thanks to them. Thanks to Erwin Jacobs in 1985, who started the company in, after retiring. He was 50-plus years old when he started Qualcomm. So why does the world need engineers? Because they create more jobs. Why does the world need more bioengineers? Because they create medicines that we never had before. And at the end of the day, they create jobs for you and me um, if you're not an engineer. So we're incredibly passionate about this. And for us, it's starting childhood education, early childhood, middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And the prompt that drives us on a daily basis is how does a child aspire to a career they don't know exists? Because as we get kids up into the lab, we have sixth graders who have never been on an elevator before. And the only thing that they're familiar with are the jobs that are in their five-mile radius because they've never been to the ocean either. So we're not creating that awareness in schools in many cases. 
Um, I believe every child should have a freshman seminar in high school to learn about the world of work and to learn about their own unique talents as well. So the reality is we don't know what the jobs of the future are and if you know what Moore's Law is and how fast um, um, computers are um, advancing, it's kind of scary if you start, don't dig your head in the sand, by the way. Get a book like Rise of the Robots and realize what's coming. We don't know what the jobs of the future are. So we need to be doing this work. This is super important. Everyone needs to be involved, whether you're a big company or a small. And uh, that's why this, I think this panel is so important, because you're going to get four different perspectives that are doing, actually doing things in our community. So thank you. So you're telling me my Apple Watch I just bought is going to be obsolete in about a year? It's going to be inside. It might be inside of you. Jeez, I don't thanks, know. Ed. Six months. You've got to wait for the 2.0. <laughs> uh, so, Ed, I just wanted to follow up on something that you just said about how we don't really know what the jobs are in the future. So if you do get a job, say, at Qualcomm right out of school, I mean, how much is continuing education important? Because if you do get that job, and then we all, we all know technology increases, does your skills from your bachelor's degree become obsolete, or do you learn on the job with Qualcomm as it evolves? It, whether you think it's a cliche or not, but lifelong learning is so important. I had a conversation with uh, a senior engineer who had formerly been an Apple, um, had come to Qualcomm and spent a number of great years there, and um, he was getting let go, essentially. This is what happens in the world of work, right? You're not performing, and... Um, you know, you get let go. And I had a real frank conversation with him. And he said, you know what, Ed? It was totally on me. I allowed myself to become obsolete. I got too comfortable in my role. I wasn't pushing. I wasn't continuing to learn the skills that I needed to keep going. And I did that to myself. So how many of us are putting ourselves in that same position when we're not lifelong learning, when we're not going after and learning the things UCSD Extension, all these great universities we have right around us, Jonathan. Get involved. Continue your education. If you're going to think you get a job and that's it, you need to manage your own career. And that's another thing that I think we're, we're hurting our young people with. Young people don't know how to manage their own careers. Heck, adults don't know how to manage their own careers. We need to be teaching that in school so that kids don't get pushed aside because that global workforce is competitive they want our jobs. They, sorry, folks outside of our borders, they want our jobs. And because of technology, they're going to be able to access, access our jobs and win them. Daryl, when you're looking for somebody out of school, I, you know, a lot of people say that it's hard to get a job out of college, but I get the impression that may not be the case if you have the skills and demand. So perhaps I was thinking you could talk about what it's like for a college grad that has maybe an engineering degree or something that Cubic would be looking for and how easy it is for them to get a job or how hard it is for you to find somebody with those skills. Well, yeah, fortunately, if you're an engineer, it's, uh, it's a little easier than for some other folks. But, uh, you know, uh, you would need to do your outreach. Hopefully, you've done um, internships along the way. Um, Cubic does a lot of STEM-related internships. You may be part of a professional organization, so Cubic works with a lot of diverse professional organizations where we try to build our talent pipeline. We get known within the community and known as a good place to work. Um, it helps if you have a mentor. So um, somebody who can guide you, and preferably more than one. So you might want to have one that's very specific in the field you're in and maybe one that's a little more general for you. Um, obviously, having the right courses helps, and uh, part of what we're talking about is having the right kind of curriculum along the way. So, um, 
But it doesn't stop there. If you haven't necessarily taken all the great STEM courses along the way, um, you know, it is lifelong learning. I, I like the point that Ed was making. Um, sometimes people feel that the company owes them development, and it's not quite that simple. It's normally a partnership between the company, probably their manager, and the person themselves. <laughs> so they, they, have to have, uh, they have to be motivated to continue to learn. One of the things we've done at Cubic is we've started a thing called Cubic University, and it has a lot of different colleges in it, and we have deans of those colleges who are senior leaders in our business. Who uh, They're not HR people. They're engineers. They're program managers. They're business development professionals, and they, they guide learning for people in our business. And you know, we've seen studies that uh, people may be quite satisfied in their job, but they still intend to leave. And, and the reason is because they don't think they're learning enough. And, you know, that's really a constant these days. As people join organizations, they may not want to stay forever, but they do want to know that they're learning something and that they're going to be better off. One of the ways that San Diego seems to market itself when they're trying to attract businesses to come here, because certainly California gets a bad rap for having high costs. We've seen other governors come in here and try to recruit businesses out. But also we have UCSD. We have a lot of biotechs. We have a lot of people that have the skills and demand. So how much does the having the workforce here attract companies versus maybe the little extra bit of cost they have to pay here in taxes or, or fees or whatever it may be? It's a great question. I, I, you know, a big piece, again, of where we um, are is just trying to create and, and enhance the, the talent that is here and, and unlock that potential wherever it may be. And in, in our world, uh, you know, through the Career Center Network that we support, about 15,000 people go through it every year, and 90-plus percent of those have been displaced. So they've um, lost their position for uh, either um, – uh, the, the the business they're with is closed or they just don't need that um, skill set that that person has. And so where we come in is uh, to be able to empower people to uh, understand what else they can do and to take those transferable skills that they do have and understand what it is and, and find their, their passion about what they want to do. Because there's going to be a lot of mid-career uh, workers who we support. And as uh, to Ed's point, too, this is about really understanding yourself and managing your career. We're, we're all... If we have a full career, we're going to be in it for 50 years, and there's going to be a lot of twists and turns along the way. But are you thinking ahead, or are you just going day to day? This is where we need to come in, and this is where the knowledge that we provide through our research uh, helps us understand. It helps our companies understand and to be able to make that link so that we can help people get back into the workforce and not just get back again, but really move up. We, we want to empower people to get, uh, in many cases, because of the target population of underserved individuals, they're going to be much closer to minimum wage or prevailing wage, and we want to be able to have them be empowered to lift themselves um, from that so that it's not a um, minimum wage debate any longer, but it's about uh, a talent development debate, and that's where we want to be. We have this bell-shaped economy here that's really troubling. We have a lot of 
um, folks who are doing really well and a lot of folks who are doing really poorly. We have like 40 percent uh, at the poverty line or below and the, the middle class is really squeezed and we have to change that. We have to be able to lift people out of that and to help them down these career pathways because I think uh, just fundamentally people, if they're not provided with that opportunity and awareness uh, at whatever age, it doesn't have to be that magic age of, of youth where you've suddenly been transformed into a, a wonderful STEM career, but there's, there's just plenty of opportunity if people are uh, afforded with that, that knowledge of what it takes to get there and to find their passion, and that's what uh, Ed and I are so passionate about because people really just need to understand their strengths, their, their desire, where they want to be, and when they know that, then off they go, but if not, then they can flounder and fail and repeat, and we don't want to have that happen. So that, that's, uh, that's where we're coming from. Yeah. Speaking of that, Ed, you were talking about um, some wages at, at Qualcomm, them being a little bit higher, and I'm wondering when you're talking to the youth, obviously one of the motivations is to get them interested in STEM, so how often does money come up, and does that, does that motivate them as well, or are they more interested in building things at this, at, when, when you're working with them? Um, it's, it's really interesting because um, in the, the first part of the, the Thinkabit Lab, um, if you've seen the videos, we talk about the world of work at Qualcomm, and we actually have created these badges of about 40 different careers at Qualcomm. And on the back, we use the ONET, the government's database of jobs. I don't know if you've ever seen the ONET, but you, you should go check it out. And we use their wage information. Um, so we don't put Qualcomm salaries on the back. Um, we put the ONET's wage information, and we talk about, is that um, career going to be in demand? Is it projected to be in demand um, by 2018? Uh, it talks about the uh, educational requirements. And kind of wrapped around that, we'll start talking about the topic or the theme of strengths, interests, and values with 6th and 7th and 8th graders, mind you, and, and the reasons that people go to work. And you'd be surprised that a 6th grader, when we start asking them questions around, what do you think your work values are, that money doesn't come up at the top. It's, I want st- stability. I want a job that's valued. I want a job that allows me to um, exercise teamwork and cooperation. Sometimes even the words come up, safety. I want to have a safe job. So it's really interesting to see that money doesn't always come up. It does. But I would say that out of 10, maybe two or three. Even when we've shown them these wages on the back of these badges, so students really are, at that early age, seem to be more concerned with those intrinsic motivators instead of, the poison, instead of the poison that the world has put on them around pay, title, and promotion, the things that we do to ourselves, and the motivation that we, you know, strive for, which are all these extrinsic motivators. So, um, you know, so to answer your question, <laughs> they, have shown, they have taught us so much about being human, and what really matters. Brian, what's your experience been with that? You work with a lot of young people. What kind of questions do they ask? I do. Um, it very much dovetail off of Ed's uh, comments there. Um, they want to be happy. Uh, they want to enjoy what they do. Um, money, I guess, at a young age, they don't really understand the full concept yet, I don't believe. Um, but their motivation is more geared towards can they perform this? Can they feel good about themselves? Um, will it benefit them 
um, to make them happy. A lot of them want to play video games. A lot of them want to just push buttons or whatnot. And it's like, well, you know that it's not just pushing buttons. You know, like, it sends a signal, that the uh, inputs, outputs, it turns a switch, it does this and that. And so they kind of get the idea, oh, okay, so let me reverse engineer this and, and, and perform um, a function. And I think that is what motivates them to, to stick with those kind of fields. Um, the money, um, only when you're talking about, like, millions, and then they start thinking, all oh, right, oh, it's great, you know, but... You know, it's few and far between, but, you know, you kind of let them down easy. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you kind of keep their motivation in, you know, work a day. It, was it uh, um, work a job you love, you never work a day in your life? Kind of like that. I think that's kind of the, the, the impetus of what is happening at the youth going forward. And I think in order to have a sustainable workforce in the future, um, they're going to have to like what they do and understand that that video game is not just pushing buttons. There's like math and, and science behind that and uh, getting them to understand that that's what that takes and to keep at it while they're young so that way they stay in that career path and they have a, a carrot at the end of the stick, you know. Um, Daryl, I was going to talk about you and Cubic. I imagine that you have some positions open right now. And one of the big knocks on the job market has been that people complain that they fill out the online resume and they get the confirmation email and then they never get a call back. So, I mean, is there a resume black hole online and how do you really get that interview? What are some of the best ways to do it? Sure. And uh, my staffing lead made sure I put a pitch in that um, we're looking for software engineers, electrical engineers, systems engineers, network administrators, and data analysts. I'm glad I asked Was that, that question. Was that subtle? Yeah. Or? It's perfect. <laughs> But, uh, yes, the, uh, I mean, we, we consider all applications that come in, but if you are connected with a professional organization that we had a relationship with, it's absolutely going to help you. Um, somebody we know may be able to say something good about you. You may know something about how it's the right sort of fit for you, so that's a good thing. Uh, maybe you've... We, we sponsor a lot of competitions, so I think this point about tricking people into learning is excellent, whether it's robotics or rocketry or cyber hacking competitions. So we provide mentors for those kind of things. If you happen to have worked with one of our mentors along the way, that absolutely helps you as well. Um, we know a little bit about you. You know a little bit about us. And same with uh, our internships. So um, we, we consider all applications that come in, but it's going to help you if you have uh, – someone was talking about Velcro earlier in the session and making a stem sticky. Well, part of it is having a hook. It, maybe it's the very first part of the Velcro, but uh, that hook that's maybe a connection to somebody uh, is going to help you. If I could just add to that, John, about uh, the resume black hole, I, I think it's uh, because people have a blind spot when it comes to even how to do their resume and the cover letters and the whole process. It seems so basic and fundamental on the surface, but it's not. And this is where we can come in again when job seekers are getting back into the game. There's a real art to presenting a, a proper resume and how you present yourself and so many people when they either do that they fail and then even if they get to the interview then they fail but that's a skill set that people really have to 
acquire and work on and um, stem or not. And people just really have to improve that. And I, th- I see people fail at that a lot, and it breaks my heart because we want them to do better. But that's where career centers can come in. And I just want to put in one quick um, note around the soft skills. Um, it's been talked a lot about here, but it's so important because these are great jobs. But if you don't have those soft skills to weave your way through that workplace. Can you define soft skills? Uh, well, all of the essential skills of uh, just how you're interacting in the workplace in a, in a very umbrella way. Uh, uh, on a, a very fundamental level, it's going to be technical competency. But, but beyond that, it's the teamwork. It's the interactions. It's, it's working with people, understanding yourself. And this goes back to the strengths finders that Ed's talking about, too, because not everybody is the same, thank goodness. Um, but understand your strengths and how and where you fit best in uh, in the workplace, um, like Brian Kelly's joke uh, at the opening around what's the, how do you tell the difference between an extrovert and introvert engineer and the extrovert is looking at your shoes, not you know, yours. Uh, you know, that's okay. If you're an introvert and you um, aren't comfortable in that, find your sweet spot. It's not like you have to be the most gregarious person in the world to make it, but understand yourself so that you can really tap into your strengths. Let me ask you this. If you, Peter, if you are majoring in a STEM field, it seems like the big pitch is there's, there's demand out there for your skills, but it's certainly not for everybody. I mean, it's very hard. The math, the engineering, the science, all those things there are some people that would just prefer to be like me and major in communication. So mm-hmm. for, the, for the rest of the grads coming out today, I mean, what's the job market like for them, for the non-STEM grads? Well, within STEM, as we know, too, there's a great <clears throat> spectrum. Uh, there's going to be the very high-end um, engineer work that Ed and panelists are talking about, but there's a lot of positions within the STEM fields and industries that are not specifically um, where you have to be uh, STEM loaded in order to find that job. But beyond um, the, the STEM fields, if you're not in the, in the technical world or the scientific world, uh, as you know, John, and you've spoken to it a lot and make a great point in our region, it's so unique with, with military tourism and then the innovation economy, but tourism is never going away. There's a lot of great jobs. There's a lot of, uh, and they're all important jobs. Uh, there's great value in every job. So whatever path you take, uh, I think fundamentally when it comes to STEM, uh, we all need to have technical competency. So even if we're not programming, can you get in and do your Microsoft Office and do it competently and, and do that? If you can't do that, you're really going to struggle in the workplace. And are you, are you adept with operating systems? And you can acquire that skill, that STEMish skill uh, quickly. You have to be committed to doing it. But you may not be a programmer. That's fine. We have enough. Well, we don't have enough programmers, but it's a special breed. Perhaps I can piggyback on that as well. I totally agree with uh, what Peter's saying. Um, You know, my boss always says, uh, figure out what you do well and get really good at it. And um, and I don't know that we um, we help kids figure out what they do well often enough. Uh, We want to track them into a pipeline and we talk about pipelines. Who wants to be shoved into a pipe? You know, you know, what's at the other end? It's you put you in and you end up like this. There's the job. It doesn't work like that anymore. Um, and that's why, you know, we feel strongly uh, that we need to work with young people to help them develop their own unique strengths, interests, and values. And there's outstanding assessments that are out in the world that have been out in the world for a very long time, um, like the strong interest inventory, that don't get used in secondary education. And these are instruments that can help a child 
identify what their unique interests and values are related to the world of work. Today, it's, it's blind. How many of you change your majors? It's no different than college. You select a major, how many times did you change it? Right? If you had you know, a conversation with a counselor you know, who understands the world of work and you participate in a high-quality assessment early on in your journey... You know, I just wonder if there's a better chance that you might select better, you know, because you've done something on purpose instead of doing things accidentally. And that just happened to be my journey because I was terrible in school and I was really bad at math. And I thought that because I was so bad at math that no employer would ever want me, you know. And so and I went to a great high school. I learned most of my lessons on the athletic field, Um, but it's hard to get a job as an athlete. (laughs) So, um, you know, no one sat down and said, well, instead of fixing your problems, um, let's focus on your, on your strengths. That, that conversation never took place. I was fortunate enough to fall into a major that I, I could do a good job in, you know, but I fell into my career, and I'm lucky to have a great boss. But I think we can eliminate some of the luck and the accidentalness of this journey for young people and adults, for that matter, if we're more purposeful about the career exploration process earlier on in their lives. Again, so that no matter what the jobs of the future are, people will still know there's a place in the world for them based on their unique talents. And we have a big problem in the world right now with disengagement. And if you look at any of the Gallup studies of disengagement of employees in the workforce in America today, you know, they all want to change their jobs. They're in their miserable jobs. Um, you know, why, why is that happening? Are we selecting badly? I think that's one of the, the biggest takeaways from this conference, and Ed has been passionate about strong interest in inventory and, and other tools. And even in the career centers, we need to do a better job of that because, again, mid-career, um, they're still struggling. Like, what am I really good at? What do I like? What do I not like? Um, but we've got to help people go through it. I, I never went through an assessment until well into adulthood. I wish I would have had that um, as a youth. Who knows what I would have selected, but instead I was pretty typical, too. Went to college, like, I don't I don't know what I want to do and I got a business degree I don't know what I want to do and but I found my passion eventually but that's uh, we're the fortunate ones who find that along the way and there's too many who are not fortunate that way but um, knowing know thyself you know is the most critical thing at whatever age and that we got to take the time to be really purposeful about that if not you can meander along the way and be very unfulfilled in your career We have about uh, 20 minutes left, so I wanted to open it up to questions. Mary Catherine has a microphone. This is being broadcast, so please make sure to speak into the mic so they can get it for TV. Some of the panelists know me. Uh, During this conference, oh, Gary Knight, I'm the San Diego's Futures Foundation. During this conference, there's been a couple of presentations where presenters were talking about not everybody has to have a college degree. The idea is that if you go to certain activities, you can gain certain skills, and you can get a job. And then the question was asked, how many of your employees fit into that category? And unfortunately, the embarrassment was none, meaning that they told them they could do this, but the entry level was such that it had to have a college degree, yet they're saying you can get a job without the skills. So there's an entry, there's sort of that barrier to entry. As a, as a group, and if we're going to make that promise, can we start talking about skills versus degrees and achievement and capability versus getting somebody who has a degree but has no skills at being able to apply it? So there's that dichotomy. 
And how mm-hmm. would we address that? I uh, really like that comment. Um, I'm the only one in my company who has a degree. Uh, my co-partner and, uh, um, doesn't have any degree at all. None of my employees have degrees, and they all have the skill set. Um, and I found that that was much more beneficial than having to go through a four-year degree and then say, okay, now that you have a degree or any degree, um, now you have passed the test or you went through the, the maze and now you're in. Um, I think especially now um, with the, the online courses and, and um, just learning by yourself, a lot of the programmers, the engineers, um, and those with that kind of skill set seem to have learned it on their own, um, have that interest. And when you meet them, um, if their skill set is right, I mean, I'll hire them. But uh, for the Navy as well, um, the officer program, you know, you absolutely need a degree. But for the enlisted, you don't. Um, but you still need that skill set. And not necessarily a STEM skill set, but you at least have to have a fundamental understanding of STEM fields to participate in a technical organization such as the Navy. Um, but uh, I think it's a very good uh, question to bring up, especially for those who may not um, go to college. We know a lot of uh, students, even today, do not go to college. Um, I don't know what the exact statistic is today, but even those who do go to college don't end up finishing. So what do we do with them? Um, I'm sure they all have some skill set that, that is beneficial to us. And uh, it's important for us to, to accept those who have a skill and a talent versus having the, the run through the gambit of, of the resties in the club. You know, he went through the, the, the career or the college um, pathway. I can th- think of three people who didn't finish college who've done pretty well. Uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, so there's talent there, obviously, but they, they didn't need the degree. They're super smart people, but they found their passion. They went after it. And skills, I think it's all about skills, and I think more and more employers are realizing it's not the degree. It certainly helps in some cases, but the, uh, like locally we have six-plus thousand unfilled coding positions right now and they're very unique and different coding um, languages so the employers are going to look for a specific skill and the smart ones are going to hire based on skill in my mind we hired a software developer for the partnership to do unique work and had to have a particular skill in a particular product and that person's done a phenomenal job degree didn't matter Hi, thank you. Carrie Vinci, Invincible Enterprises. My question actually is for Peter and for Ed, and it has to do with career counselors. You're doing a lot of work with adults. I don't see a lot of career counseling in K through 12. So what do you think can be done to boost that particular area so that the kids get an idea early on where they want to go? and use those skills and get tested for those talents that they mm-hmm. have. Thank you. Uh, excellent question. And it, it's, not, um, it's not an easy answer because uh, counselor ratio to student is about four. I've heard between 400 and 600 to one counselor to student ratio. And these people are buried. I mean, they're, they're focusing on um, really making sure that students get the right classes they need so they can graduate with the, with the right requirements. Um, but 
because of the LCAP, I, I think, LCAP funding, local control funding, we're, I, I think we're starting to see some of the districts move some money over into this critical area, and they're starting to want to explore. So, in fact, the last two days I spent with uh, Vista Unified School District. Uh, their superintendent spoke earlier this week, Devin Vadichka, and um, they're going through an entire strengths-based certification process with us, actually business and education and partnering together. They want all 1,500 administrators to be strength certified and to move their district away from a deficit remediation model with students um, to a strengths-based uh, philosophy. So, uh, but it doesn't start with, it's not just the counselors. This is something that has to become pervasive throughout the, uh, the institution, throughout the district. Um, San Diego Unified is also doing this. They're looking to bring on more counselors. They're, they're going to run trials on the world of work. They're going to run a trial with the strong interest inventory. So this is the benefit of, of business and education working together. They're coming in. They're seeing what we're doing with our employees, the value that's um, being delivered back to the company around engagement and productivity. And they're going back and saying, how do we do this? How do we figure this out? Will we ever get to a you know, 20 to 1 ratio? I don't know. But I think there's other ways to, to handle this and make sure that students do have an awareness um, of their talents. Um, and we need to get creative and innovate in our roles to do so. Great question. And uh, fortunately, locally for us, we have very progressive superintendents, Cindy Martin of San Diego Unified, as well as uh, Devin that you mentioned, and uh, right up to Randy Ward, who's our county office of education superintendent. They really get it. Now they're just trying to find the resources. Funding through the state is getting better, but um, that's not uh, our space day to day. But uh, knowing that they're really committed to it is so important. Uh, And it it is wonderful to see locally, too, because when we have industry leaders like Qualcomm who really care about this and what Ed is doing in particular at Think of It is inspiring um, our educators uh, to do that. And when they come in for that, that day at Think of It, boy, talk about career counseling uh, in practice versus just a one-to-one conversation, but the experience of it is um, uh, incalculable. And... Uh, at think of it it's just so cool to see the reaction uh, that comes from the kids after that day and what they write down on the desk and how it's changed their perspective and they realize what they can do that's career counseling it's living it doing it and we need to be able to replicate the think of it model um, and other businesses locally have to adopt that and make maker spaces so that career counseling is living in the world of work, not um, just uh, in education alone and disconnected from the world. Yeah, maybe to add one point about career counseling, um, in my own work with kids and also uh, younger folks in the workforce, there's a misconception that I often see, and so I think we need to be honest with folks about how careers actually work. Uh, the misconception is kind of that you get your first job and then you're promoted and then you're promoted again, promoted again, and you kind of make it to the top. And um, I think most of us know, maybe from our own careers, it, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, it's normally much more like a zigzag. There, there was an article written a long time ago called Up is Not the Only Way, which has definitely influenced me. And it's, it's helping people understand the importance of sideways moves, exploratory moves, possibly moving geographically somewhere else, maybe taking a downward move to go learn something. So it's uh, helping people understand how these careers actually work. 
the back. Good morning. My name is Bill Walsh. I'm principal at Southwest Middle School, and I am one of those principals. Ed, thank you very much, and uh, you inspired us. Actually, uh, we're working through the California Youth Development Network, and we have gone four principals in our district, Sweetwater Union High School District, uh, gone through this strengths-based training, and we're going to be taking that district-wide. Uh, we look to bring our new superintendent, Karen Janney, to Think a Bit Lab very shortly. Peter, I want to thank you for the posters. Those are in my office and actually outside. There's right. at least 500 students that walk past there every day and get to look at those posters. And so Great. I just want to encourage you, please continue to work with your K-12 schools, specifically neighborhood schools. Everything is not always about uh, the charter schools. There are some great things going on in the neighborhood schools. We need your help. We need your support. Question for you guys. What are we doing in terms of trying to develop those students with bilingual skills that live in the cross-cultural border experience? Ed, you talked about those kids that don't go to the beach, that have never been to the beach. Um, We've got an incredible opportunity in the future. You can't get things made in China unless you're getting a million units made, but we can make things in the maquiladores down south of the border, 10,000 units or less. What are we doing to, in the San Diego region, try to facilitate our bilingual Hispanic students to be leaders in industry in the next mm-hmm. 50 years? ¿Sabe qué? Yo quiero los parientes de esos niños que vengan a Qualcomm a trabajar con nosotros. Porque tienen que aprender qué hacemos en tecnología. Porque no saben los parientes. Right? <laughs> the parents have no idea what we're doing at Qualcomm. And when we bring... Sorry, I didn't mean to just jump in, but that is a huge topic. That is a huge topic. I only I totally know Pig Latin, so I'm sure glad he did. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't help myself. Uh, we, how do we get the parents, you know, to, to see the world of work as well? Right? And we have run some trials bringing parents to the world of work. Um, no English. Uh, these are po- some of the parents that probably uh, wash dishes at Fidel's. Um, and when we took them through the world of work, they borrowed the, the, the van from the Presbyterian Church next door. Their hands were like this the whole hour and a half. And they were eating it up, soaking up what we were sharing with them around the world of technology. They all came with their mobile phones. So once we told them what was happening in there, they were just amazed. And, and so to connect that to, that's why your kids need to stay in school. That's what's out there for your children if you encourage them to stay engaged. And you need to support that. So, uh, Principal, you're awesome. When you came to the lab, I called Peter right away and said, we need posters for Principal Walsh. So we need to get your parents in um, all the employers you know, to see what's happening in the world of work. That's what we need to be committed to as businesses. Uh, I, we need to do more in workforce, too. We, uh, we don't have enough funds. $40 million just doesn't go that far in our region. And our job is to find more resources, and we're always going after new dollars through the feds, city and the county. One thing locally that's really encouraging, though, is it's not specifically STEM-related, but it's the Summer Youth Employment Program that we – I uh, have now operated the past few years that we renamed Connect to Careers, and my friend Ashley, again, here helped get that off the ground. And that gets uh, kids connected in the summer to have whatever experience it is, uh, and that develops the soft skills, provides an income, and provides the beginning of the career pathway. We're really passionate about it. We're really trying to ramp up the numbers. Year one was only about 200 kids, but our goal next summer is going to be 2,500 kids, whatever that job may be. I mean, I flip burgers. I uh, 
I drove pizza, I did whatever it took, and there was part of my zigzag along the way. And and for kids locally, we have to get them into experiences so that we don't have more and more disconnected youth because there's just way too many locally and nationally. It's it's a crisis, uh, and if we can't get kids connected in whatever entry-level experience that can then uh, spark their interest to whatever career, then we're failing, and we have to do better. I think we have time for maybe one more in the back. Hi, my name is Stephen Stepp, and I'm a retired electrician with the IBEW. One of the things that we do as far as a group that I'm with, the Electrical Workers Minority Caucus, is we try to target uh, grade school kids that are actually considered marginalized. And while I'm at this conference, I'm looking and I'm hearing people say things about how to get more STEM and STEAM-related programs into schools. But one of the things that we're running into as construction workers is that we require kids to have this ability when they come and start working for us just looking at a building like this one we worked on as electricians. What do you guys do to reach down to the kids that are at the level where they're not, we know they're not going to college, but at the same time they're failing out of school? How do we pull them in to get them the skill set? Because the only thing that schools seem to want to let us work with are the kids that are on the margin. Do you have that same problem? Do you have programs where you're pulling those children up and getting them not only to graduate from school, but also to look at STEAM, STEM technology? This is where the jobs are in the future. I, I think a perfect example, and thank you for the work you do. I love the trades, and I think the trades get a bad rap a lot of times, and the trades are so important. We have electricians at Qualcomm. We've got plumbers. We've got HVAC. we got everything at Qualcomm, and that's what people don't realize. And you come out of your trade schools. You make great money. You have a great career trajectory, uh, stability in your career. One of my very best friends, a female electrician, she's starting her own company, Chick Electric, but she's been in the trades for uh, uh, 15 years. Um, she's working down at the airport right now. But right down here on one of these infographics uh, that the San Diego Workforce Partnership put together is a, a sector called clean jobs, or uh, clean energy. And what's in clean energy? Electrical, electricians. You, you guys are the ones that are putting in the solar panels. They call it clean energy, but it's electricians that are putting in solar. And with this proliferation of solar that's taking off in our, in our region, that's why putting these infographics in the schools, Principal Walsh and other principals, putting these infographics there, kids can then see, oh, that's what, that's what this is. These are the people who are helping us you know, with our energy needs of the future. It's electricians that are doing that. We need to connect those things. And having you, sir, be in the classroom and talking to kids, um, that's part of the journey as well. And I'm sure you're doing that already, but um, that's how we connect all the dots. It's business, it's education, it's industry, it's nonprofit, it's Um, that's how we're going to do it. Well, I just want to say thank you to all of our panelists and the audience as well for being here. I hope that this session will help you and those that you mentor or guide in the San Diego job market. So thank you very much.